Again, good morning, fellowship. It's uh, unfortunate that we're unable to worship together in person, but we're grateful for technology today to allow us to be able to meet. And, and so we, we miss you in person, but we trust that you are, that the Lord is meeting with us today wherever we are as we join together uh, through the conventions of media and technology. Well, today is Valentine's Day, and so whether you're snowed in or iced in, our prayer for you is that you will know today that you are deeply loved by God. In writing to the Christians in Rome, Paul began his letter with these words, to all in Rome, and we could apply that this way, to all who are in Saginaw, or if we were to narrow it even further, to all who are at Fellowship Baptist Church, who are loved by God. We want you to know this morning that you are loved by God. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul would write, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so regardless of your status in life, regardless of the circumstances that you're facing this morning, our prayer is that you would know this morning in a very intimate, personal way that you are loved by God Almighty. There is nothing that you can do today that would cause God to love you any more than he already does, and certainly there is nothing that you can do today that would cause him to love you any less. That's good news. Good news for all of us here this morning, this Valentine's Day. During his earthly ministry while he was here on this earth, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus replied this way, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, with, uh, with all your soul. And the second is like it, that you would love your neighbor as yourselves, as yourself. The New Testament teaches us that because God has loved us, we are to love one another as members of God's family. We are to love one another sincerely, deeply, fervently, from the heart. Jesus said that the world will know that we are his disciples by, his, by our love for one another. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, the Holy Spirit impressed Paul to write these words, that the love of Christ compels us, that is, the love of Christ compels us to carry the good news of the gospel because Jesus Christ died for all. And so our prayer this Sunday is that you would know that you are deeply loved by God. Last Sunday we saw how the early church demonstrated the prayer of the English uh, uh, Puritan pastor uh, Richard Baxter. He prayed these words, in essentials let there be unity, in non-essentials may there be liberty, in all things there must be charity, there must be love. And we saw last Sunday how the early church uh, demonstrated what happens when God's people are not governed or ruled by, uh, by legalism. That is, we have to add things, we begin to add things onto people that they must do certain things to be saved or that their salvation must be enhanced or secured by doing certain things. That's legalism. We saw what happens when the church rejects legalism. And we also saw last Sunday what happens when the church does not allow itself to be ruled by license. That where we say, well, 
where we find ourselves saying, it really doesn't matter what I do, as long as I'm doing what is best for me, it doesn't matter how my actions affect you. We saw the church reject that kind of thinking. Instead, we witnessed last week the church, the early church, being governed by the law of love. That was a beautiful picture last week in Acts chapter 15 when the Jerusalem council made the decision that there was nothing that Gentiles needed to do to add to salvation apart from faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Last week we looked at the gospel and just so we can be refreshed on what the gospel is, I've been sharing with you that the gospel really can be summarized into two words. Do you remember those two words? Jesus Jesus only, only Jesus. And last week the, we saw in Acts chapter 15 how the early church championed that message. And it was a wonderful picture. This week, not so much. We're going to be in Acts chapter 15, verse 36 down to verse 10 of chapter 16. And we're going to see what happens when God's people disagree. And in this passage, although there's conflict here, the, co the point of this passage is really how does God direct his people? I read a story of, of two porcupines freezing in the northern woods of Canada. In order to survive the harsh winter, they huddled together, but as they came together for warmth, they also began to needle each other with their quills, and so they had to move apart. These porcupine, they needed each other, but they also needled each other with their quills. Christians and church members, we're sometimes like that, are we not? We're like those porcupines. We need each other, but then we needle each other. Uh, Vance Havner, the Southern Baptist evangelist, is quoted as saying this, there are many porcupine Christians. They have their good points, but you just can't get very close to them. This morning, we're going to learn from scriptures how God guides his people even when we find ourselves being difficult. And we're going to find how God guides his people through difficult circumstances. If you have a copy of God's word with you, we're going to be reading in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15. I hope you have a copy of God's Word. Let's read the scriptures here this morning. We're going to begin with verse 36, chapter 15. We're going to go down through verse 10 of chapter 16. Sometime later, that is after the council in Jerusalem, after they had met, Paul and Barnabas went back to Antioch. The Bible says this, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, who is also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. And they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And Paul came to Derbe, verse 1 of chapter 16, and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was, a Jew, was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. 
the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, but Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who had lived in the area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. And so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Verse 6. Paul and his companion, uh, companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And when they came to the border of Mysia, they went they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of the Lord would not allow them so. And so they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so let's consider what God here has to say about directing, about guiding his people. Do you ever need direction in life? Do you ever need that God to, to lead you and guide you in the directions, the steps of your life? We all do. How does God guide and lead his people? Four ways that God guides his people. Number one, God guides through conflict and failure. God guides through conflict and failure. We see this here at the end of chapter 15 in Acts. Verse 36 opens uh, up on the heels of the euphoria the disciples and the church felt after the decision the council of Jerusalem had reached. Paul and Barnabas are back in Antioch and, and they've, they, they were the dream team of the early church. God's hand was, was resting upon these two servants. God was using them in mighty ways and so Paul said to, to Barnabas in verse 36, he says, Barnabas, let's go back to all the churches where we had proclaimed the word of the Lord. And let's see how the believers are doing. Let's see how the churches are doing. Let's go back and strengthen these believers in the faith. Let's go back and check on them. Let's make sure that these churches are doing well. There was great intention. There was great heart in these two servants of God. And verse 37, Barnabas says to Paul, Paul, that's a great idea. Let's do it. Let's take John Mark. Let's go back and let's see how the churches are doing. Let's leave now. And Paul says, whoa, hang on there, Barnabas. We can't take John Mark. John, you, don't you remember what happened the first time? He deserted us. He was a disaster. He's... He's not dependable. We can't count on him. We're not taking John Mark. Barnabas saw potential in Mark, whereas Paul only saw disaster waiting with John Mark. And verse 39 tells us that there arose a sharp disagreement between them. This was a heated exchange. This wasn't two mild men sitting across from each other enjoying coffee and, and discussing what they should do. Oh no, this was heated. This was passionate. This was a verbose disagreement between two men who passionately believed two different uh, opinions on what they should do and how they should do it. And verse 39 tells us 
that so sharp was their disagreement that these two servants of God who had worked faithfully for years separated. Now think about their painful separation. Think of their relationship that they enjoyed. It was Barnabas who had, was sent by the church in Jerusalem to go up to Antioch to see what was happening there with these new Christians being born again. And while Barnabas was there in Antioch, it was Barnabas who said he remembered what God had done in the life of Saul, who had now become Paul, and he went up to Tarsus, and went north up into the region of Cilicia, went to the city of Tarsus, the hometown of, Barn- of Paul, and he found them. He said, hey, Paul, you got to hear what's going on in Antioch. God is doing a great thing. There is a church that's being born. The people are being converted. You need to come down to, to Antioch, and, and these people need your teaching. You need to come. It was Barnabas who went and who, who had found Paul and brought him back. It was Paul and Barnabas that the Holy Spirit had set apart for the work to which he had called them. It was Barnabas and Paul who had journeyed across that region of Galatia and who had experienced much hardship and trial as well as much victory. They experienced the hand of God's work upon them. It was Paul and Barnabas who had reported back in Jerusalem. They stood shoulder to shoulder in defense of the gospel that the Gentiles were being saved just as the Jews had when they had put their faith in Jesus Christ and it was now these two servants of God at such sharp disagreement that they separated their ways and I think there's a lesson here for us and the lesson is that the best of Christians sometimes will not always agree I like how one commentator put it he said that all Christians walk with a limp that we're all broken in different ways. We all rely on the grace of our Lord. As we survey church history, some of the church's greatest leaders have been difficult people. I'm reminded of Martin Luther's honest self-evaluation where he said, I am rough, boisterous, stormy, and altogether warlike fighting against innumerable monsters and devils. I like this. He says, I am born for removing stumps and stones, cutting away thistles and thorns, clearing wild forests. God needed a personality. God used a personality like Martin Luther in that Protestant Reformation as he stood against the abuses that the church was teaching regarding uh, salvation that had now had moved from grace to works. At times, there are times when God's people will not always agree. Verse 39 tells us that Barnabas took Mark and they sailed for Cyprus. Verse 40 tells us that Paul took Silas and they headed north into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Barnabas went by sea. Uh, Paul went by land. And the point here that the word of God I think is making clear to us is that the relationship between these men of God failed. What I find interestingly absent from this account is that nowhere do we read of these two servants of God stopping to pray 
And nowhere do we read that it seemed good to them that, and to the Holy Spirit that they should take John Mark or they should leave John Mark or that they should separate their ways and go two different directions. Nowhere do we read of that. And while God does not cause such sharp disagreement and conflict, God does at time, times use conflict like this to guide his servants. God used this conflict and God worked through this failure to bring about increased fruitfulness and service for his name's sake. And we too, as the people of God, must trust that even in conflict and failure, that although it is painful, that God is able to work not only for his good, in not only for his glory in that, but he's also able to work for our good in this. Mark, he needed the patience and the grace of Barnabas. Later on, as Paul neared the end of his life, he would write to Timothy, and he would say in 2 Timothy 4, verse 11, Bring, when you come, bring Mark with you, for he is useful to the service. Why could Paul say that? Because of the faithfulness of Barnabas to Mark. Mark would go on to serve alongside Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, we read that he was serving with Peter, and it was the Holy Spirit who would use uh, Mark to write the second gospel of the New Testament, the gospel of Mark, in which Jesus Christ is presented as the servant of God. You say, how does God guide? Well, sometimes God guides his people through conflict and failure in order to direct our steps. Secondly, God guides through his providential provision God guides through his providential provision. We see this in the first five verses of Acts chapter 16. As Paul and Silas went north through the regions of Syria and Cilicia, um, they turned west and they began to cross the Taurus Mountains, the Tarsus Mountains, and they began to visit the cities that Paul and Barnabas had visited, except in reverse order. First, they went to Derbe. And from Derbe, they went to Lystra. And do you remember what happened in Lystra several Sundays ago when we were there in Acts chapter 14? It was there in Lystra that the citizens stoned the Apostle Paul, drug him outside of the, hip, uh, the city, threw him on top of a garbage pile, leaving him there for dead. But that's not all that happened while they were there. You see, while Paul and Barnabas were in that city, preaching and teaching in the synagogue, there was another young man who was sitting attentively under their teaching ministry. His father was an unbelieving Greek, but his mother was a believing Jew. And as he listened intently to the preaching and the teaching of the Apostle Paul, God was at work in his heart, turning his heart to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And what may have seemed at, but to outward appearances to be a loss, God was at work. Not only then, but also now. For that young man who was sitting there under the teaching and preaching ministry of Paul and Barnabas was none other than Timothy. Timothy had become a believer while 
Paul and Barnabas had gone to that city the first time. Paul, Timothy had become a believer while the people were taking Paul and stoning him and dragging him out to the garbage heap to leave him for dead. God was giving new life to Timothy. And Timothy became a disciple of Jesus Christ and his reputation as a follower of Jesus Christ was not only well known in the city of Lystra but also in the city of Iconium. And so Paul says, this man must join this and he must become part of our missionary team. God providentially, that is beforehand, supplied what was needed by saving and then preparing Timothy for what would become a lifetime of service. Rick Warren, I believe he's probably quoting Warren Wiersbe, but either Rick Warren and Warren Wiersbe, but one of those two said it this way, where God, where God guides, he always provides. Where God guides, he always provides. Now I've been thinking about these verses this week been thinking about our situation here at Fellowship Baptist Church. As you know, uh, for the past two years, we've had a, a faithful group of uh, adults who, are, who have been leading and serving in our student ministry and through life circumstances and life changes. We believe at this time now that we need to have a youth pastor come on staff to be able to shepherd and oversee our student ministry. And as we're praying for that, I began to pray, Lord, as you provided Timothy, provide a, a, youth, a student pastor for us, providentially go before us and supply a disciple whose reputation is well known as a follower of Jesus Christ to come and serve in our student ministry. God guides by providentially providing for the needs of his people along the way. Allow me to have a quick note here, a quick comment on verses 2 and 3 where it says that Paul circumcised Timothy. Some have suggested here in these verses that this circumcision was a compromise of Paul to the principle that was achieved at the council of Jerusalem. I do not believe it was Paul compromising the principle we know from Galatians chapter 2 that Paul had strongly resisted the circumcision of Titus who was a, a Gentile because in the case of Titus that the, the, the issue of Gentiles being saved was at stake. Timothy, on the other hand, was born both Jew and Greek. And as they would go into the Jewish communities as they pressed the gospel forward, Timothy would be viewed as a Jew by the Jews and his uncircumcision would unnecessarily become a stumbling block to the, Jewish, to the Jews that they were trying to evangelize. So Timothy voluntarily removed the stumbling block. Timothy was displaying the attitude that the Apostle Paul would write about in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 21 to 23, we read these words as Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but un am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. 
to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I become all thi- I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. And so Timothy voluntarily submitted himself to this right so as not to give offense to the Jews who they were trying to share the gospel with. And notice what happened. Verse 4, as they traveled from town to town delivering the news of the council uh, uh, from Jerusalem, the, the, the letter from the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem uh, regarding the people to obey. Verse 5, notice what happened. Those uh, the believers, the churches were strengthened in the faith and they grew daily in number. The believers were strengthened and those who had yet believed on the Lord Jesus Christ were coming to faith. It says that the churches were strengthened in the faith. They were being hardened. They were becoming firm in their faith. Their faith was going deep. It was taking root. And there was something transformative taking place in the lives of these churches as this missionary team went back to strengthen them. God was adding to their number. May God do that in and through the ministries of Fellowship Baptist Church. That's my prayer for this year, that that we would be established in Christ and the gospel would go forth, would be extended from the place and from the ministries and from the people of Fellowship Baptist Church. How does God guide? God providentially God guides by providentially providing what is needed for his people. Number three, God guides through closed doors. God guides through closed doors. We see this in verses six and seven. Paul, Silas, now Timothy, went through Galatia, that is the southern part of Turkey, and they, and they strengthened the churches as they went along. And they, as they went through Galatia, they wanted to press on into Asia. Now Asia is not what we think of today as the continent of Asia. Asia here that is used in Acts chapter 16 refers to the Roman province in western Turkey. Asia would be the home of the seven churches that are listed for us in Revelation. Ephesus, Smyrna, uh, Thyatira, Pergamum, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Uh, the seven, uh, Asia would be the home of the, city, of the church in the city of Colossae from which we get our letter to the Colossians. And verse 6 tells us that the Holy Spirit kept Paul and Silas and Timothy from going into Asia. And so this missionary team kept pressing on. They went north. Well, maybe if God doesn't want us to go into Asia to the west, maybe God wants us to go north into the, into the area of Bithynia, that area of prosperous cities along the Black Sea. And they went north, but There, verse 7 tells us that the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go into Bithynia. It was as if the Lord was directing this missionary team, funneling them, as you might say, all the way to the port city of Troas. 
when all that was in front of them was the Darnell Straits, the Aegean Sea, and across the Aegean Sea, Europe. They were forced west into this funnel with no place to go where they had to stop and wait. Now I want us to stop and think for a few moments about how the, they were restricted by the Holy Spirit in verses 6 and 7. The Bible doesn't tell us how they were stopped, but they were stopped definitively. Some speculate that maybe they didn't have a sense of peace, that subjective sense of peace. We just didn't have a peace from the Lord that we should go into this area. And it may have been that. We know that God oftentimes guides through peace. Uh, Philippians chapter 4 tells us that we are to pray about everything and the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds. Others have speculated that maybe it was difficult circumstances. Maybe the uh, opportunity to go into this area was restricted because of uh, the transportation, uh, the unavailability to be able to go. Maybe there was no uh, receptivity as they tried to go into those areas. They were being blocked. We don't know. Some conjecture that it may have been illness that pressed them on to Troas. And the reason for that is when you get down to verse 10, for the very first time, we read that Luke now, Dr. Luke, the physician, joins the missionary team. For in verse 10 it says, we, the first time that we read we in, the, this, letter, in, this, in this book called the Acts of the Apostles. We don't know how the Holy Spirit restricted them, but it was definitive. And for whatever reason, unknown to us, the Lord closed the doors in Asia and Bithynia. What kept Paul and this missionary band going when everywhere they turned, the opportunities were closed? What would you have done? I wonder how many of us would say, well, God's not in this, so... We may as well just head back to Antioch. But they pressed on being sensitive, waiting for the leading of the Lord. Why did they do that? There, it was because of this. I believe because of this. Their simple faith and trust that God was in control of their steps. They believed, they trusted that God was in control and directing their steps even when what they wanted to do or what they expected would happen was not coming about. Paul would write later on to the Philippians while he was in prison in Rome these words, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually um, served to advance the gospel. Later on, he was saying, what happens happened to me, this imprisonment, although it is not what I want, God is using this imprisonment so that the gospel might advance. To the Corinthians, Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, he says, we are hard-pressed on every side. We find ourselves being squeezed. We find ourselves being pressed in on every side. But we're not crushed. We're perplexed. 
It, we don't understand it all. It doesn't make sense to us. But we're not in despair. They were trusting God, believing that he was directing their steps even as the doors were being closed. I'm reading this autobiography of Corey Ten Boon, The Hiding Place with one of our teenagers. Uh, Corey Ten Boon, she was a, a prisoner in the Nazi prison camp during World War II. She and her sister and her father were arrested by the Nazis for hiding Jews while they were living in Holland. At one point in their imprisonment, they had received news that they would be released. And so they were given this hope that their release from prison would be uh, imminent, would be soon. When it became apparent that their release was not coming, Corey cried out to Betsy these words in desperation. How long will it take? How long, Betsy, will it take before our release from this prison will come? Now listen to Betsy's answer. Perhaps a long, long time. Perhaps many years. Now do not miss what Betsy said. But what better way could there be for us to spend our lives? In a prison camp because they hid Jews from the extermination advances of the German army and Betsy said what better way could there be for us to spend our lives Corey wrote I turned to stare at her whatever are you talking about I think that's our response, is it not? What are you talking about, Betsy? We're in a prison camp. How could this be the best way to spend our lives? No, listen to what Betsy replied. These young women, referring to the prison guards, that girl back in the barracks, a fellow prisoner. Corey, if these people can be taught to hate, Betsy said, they can be taught to love. We must find the way, you and I, no matter how long it takes. Isn't that good? I think this is the attitude that we must have when we find ourselves facing closed doors and frustrating circumstances and we find ourselves being pressed in. Oh no, we need to respond at that moment, not with frustration, not with despair, not with retreat, but saying, Lord, we're trusting you. We believe that our steps are being directed by you and we're waiting on you to lead us. How does God guide us? Before he can turn us, he often has to stop us. Are you willing to be stopped by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in order to be guided by him? How does God guide? Number four. He guides through revelation. He guides through revelation. We see this in verses eight, nine, and 10. While at Troas, Paul received a vision that we call the Macedonian call. 
We don't know what that vision was. The Bible just tells us that there was a man that appeared to Paul in a vision from Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. And what I like is verse 10 where it says that after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. That word concluding is the idea of bringing together, coalescing things into one. You think of mixing up a batter, stirring it up. All the ingredients become one. Knitting together. They're putting together the pieces of the circumstances of their lives. Ah, it began to dawn on them. This is where God was leading them. This is what God wanted them to do. And the Bible says that they went. Now as we think about our lives, let me bring it to a close here. God leads his people today as he led his people then. Sometimes he leads us through conflict and failure. We would rather avoid conflict. We would rather avoid that painful separation. And yet it is through conflict and failure, painful separation, that God guides and directs the steps of his people. Other times, God graciously and providentially provides in advance, before we even know it, he takes the painful places, the, the difficult circumstances, the, the places that we would rather avoid out of our lives, write them out of our lives, avoid those places. God uses that to direct us. He provides in those difficult places what is needed in the future. Sometimes God guides through closed doors. And we find ourselves being funneled and restricted. And yet it is there that God begins to reveal his will. The question that I want us to consider this morning is this. Are we listening? Are we following his lead? Are we willing to follow his lead? Are we even earnestly considering, Lord, what is it that you're doing here? How are you leading in this circumstance? What is it that you're wanting? Is our heart even bent that way? My prayer for us, my desire for us is that, is that we would be people who would earnestly desire to follow the Lord's leading and to do his will, concluding that this is what he is wanting to do. We make our way to follow in the steps of our Savior. Someone said this, to know the will of God is the greatest knowledge. To do the will of God is the greatest achievement. And so as we think about our lives, where God has us, this stage in life, this circumstance in life, this station in life, uh, whether it be a, a homemaker, a a parent who's homeschooling or working in a professional uh, place of employment. Maybe you find yourself being unemployed. Maybe you find yourself being restricted by a circumstance in this life. I want to assure you with this thought that God will place you and God has placed you where he wants you, when he wants you, with whom he wants. So that you and I might be faithful to follow him.
as I was thinking about this passage and thinking about us, I think the response of Isaiah when he saw the Lord seated on the throne in Isaiah chapter 6 needs to become our response. Lord, here am I. Send me. I think the response of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane is to be our response from this passage. Father, not my will be done, but yours be done. Will you make that your prayer this morning? Will that become your desire as you seek to follow him in this world at this time?